But anywho, I love Tuesday nights. It's so good to be back together again. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I am our Chi Alpha pastor. I'd love to meet you after service. And we do have one other thing we need to celebrate tonight. Can we do that? So two of our own, Jacob Scarless and Juliana Barthel, got engaged this past week. So let's celebrate them, too, and get... All right, and your prize, you get to come preach. I'm just kidding, you don't have to do that. I'm not going to throw that on you. But anyways, congratulations, guys. We're so excited for you. So I got a question for you guys. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have you ever asked, why did I just do that? They're like, oh, yeah. Have you ever thought, like, what was I thinking? Why did I act like I was that kind of person? Have you ever questioned that and thought about your actions and why you behaved the way you did? So I remember this just like it was yesterday. I was sitting in calculus class, learning about God knows what, when the girl of my dreams started talking to me. The girl of my dreams back then, she wasn't my wife, so she's my dream now. Amen. Love you, Taylor. But this other girl who I also liked, we were preparing, actually. That was a good save. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I I can't get distracted by you. This girl and I were actually preparing to go on a date, and I was, like, shocked that she had been interested in this, so I was kind of nervous. And on this date... She asked me to drive her from school to a local coffee shop. We had studied and talked together. And I was petrified because I knew that I would be driving her in my 1998 Mercury Sable that had a plethora of issues. Stand up if that car, or excuse me, stand up if you're younger than that car. Like if you were born before 98, or excuse me, older than that car. Oh, this is embarrassing. My car is older than like 99% of you. It's not my car still. That'd probably be broken. But I was petrified that I was going to have to drive this car. It smelled funky. It made funky sounds. And this was not going to be the way that Mr. Smooth Derek Quimby, who had no right going on this date anyways, was going to win her over. And as we discussed this car, I told her that it was my winter car. I was like, yo, yo, yo. That's an old beater. And I just drive it around in the winter so I don't wreck my really nice car. And see, technically... I wasn't lying. It was my winter car. I did fail to mention that it was also my fall car and my spring car and my summer car because it was my car car and there was no other car. (laughs) But I was embarrassed by this car, so I lied to her, knowing full well that when spring came along, if this date went well and things progressed, she would eventually ask me, yo, why have you not switched out that car for the nicer one? I'm like, don't worry about it. Just, Just pray. It'll be fine. Right? So why did I do that? Why would I lie about something so silly? If I'm honest with you, this wasn't the first time I had done something like this. This isn't the first time that I kind of like stretched the truth just to make myself look a little bit better, make it look like I had more money or was better off than I actually was. So I ask you again, have you ever had this thought? Have you ever asked yourself, why did I do that? Why do you do the things you do? We, especially in this current generation, have a desire to get to the bottom of things. We want to know the deeper meaning behind our actions. Since 2004, the amount of Americans that go to therapy has almost doubled. This could be explained from a rise in mental illness, or it could also be explained by a rise in awareness of mental illness. It's probably a combination of both, right? Probably both and. But I think it's clear that people want to know what's going on inside of their hearts, Hear me, I think therapy is great. I think that's a great thing that can be super beneficial. So if that's something you want to go through, I think that is an amazing idea. But all these facts prove to us that it's clear that our generation, we want to know ourselves. And tonight we're going to continue our sermon series, Becoming. 
This word becoming actually has two definitions. The first definition, as the video showed you, is the process of coming to be something. So it's a process of change, growth, transformation. But the second definition is giving off an attractive appearance, like saying, oh, that outfit is so becoming. You look so nice. Like, you are beautiful. And so we combine these two. And we're going to spend these six weeks processing through how we can become transformed into a beautiful reflection of the image of God. See, life with God is a journey. We talked about that for our first month, right? The journey of a lifetime. We're going on this journey of a lifetime with God and becoming who God created us to be. This all is about spiritual formation. We're all being formed, and as Jesus followers, our goal is to be formed by Jesus to become more like Jesus. And we believe that there are six elements to becoming more like Jesus. I use this analogy. It's like six paintbrushes that God uses simultaneously to paint this picture of our life with God. These six elements are no God, no self, find friendship, find freedom, live mission, and live service. By the end of this year, I hope you got those memorized. That'd be pretty cool. Last week, Pastor Victor covered no God, so tonight we'll move on to the next one of no self, and that's our sermon title is no self. In order to get a greater understanding of what it looks like to know ourselves, we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the time before Jesus, and we're going to actually go and look at a story about this guy named David. David was the youngest of seven brothers, and he was a shepherd boy. And in our story we're going to read tonight, David's nation, which was Israel, is actually at war with a different nation. They're at war with the Philistines. And there is this giant who is making fun of the Israelites and challenging any one of them, will you come fight me? But none of them would step up to the plate. The king of Israel, his name is Saul, he was looking for a warrior to go fight Goliath, who's that enemy giant. And this is where David comes in. Let's read together 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 40. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock... I went after him, struck him, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Ooh, David's aggressive now. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Kind of weird to throw his circumcision status, but it's fine. We'll just keep rolling. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to him, go, let the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped a sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, but he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I haven't tested them. So David took them off. And then he took his own staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we get to come and gather and just celebrate your goodness, God, and get to know ourselves a little bit better. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen and amen. This story is a very, very famous Bible story. David goes on to fight this giant Goliath, and he defeats him against all, all odds. The story of David versus Goliath is popular, not just in church circles, but in most of culture you've heard of David versus Goliath. But before David could defeat Goliath, he had to know himself. He had to answer this question, who am I? David says to the king, he says, your servant will go fight him. He knew he was a servant, not just of King Saul, but a servant of God. 
He knew the calling over his life. David knew his own skill set. David knew what was happening inside of him. He knew that he wasn't just a shepherd boy. He wasn't just the youngest of seven brothers. No, he knew who he was deep down. To know ourselves, we need to know who we are deep down. I think we often settle for just knowing our surface level selves. Like, I'm 26 years old, I'm married to Taylor, I have two sons, go on. And those are all true facts about me, but those things don't really tell the story of me. We need to examine our hearts, and not just what we do, but we need to learn why do we do the things we do. So going back to that old car, I had an uncle, his name was Rod. Uncle Rod bought me this car. My Uncle Rod is a kind of rough, tell-it-how-it-is man. So after he bought me this car, I noticed there were some issues with it, and I have zero mechanical ability, so like, I'll take it to him and see what he knows. And I pull up and start talking about it, and he says to me, did you check your fluids? I'm like, what in the world did you say? So I just stared at him like an idiot. I'm like, what? He said, son, did you check your fluids? He's got like, a mustache flowing in the wind, like chewing tobacco popping out. I'm like, what's happening right now? And I'm like, no, Uncle Rod, I did not check my fluids, whatever the heck that means. And then he opens up the hood, and he starts checking the fluids. He's like, here's your problem, son. It's your fluids. I'm like, I get it, my fluids. He then rants at me for a very long time about how I need to check my fluids every single week, like Monday morning up by 4 a.m., checking the fluids. And I'm not joking when I say this. Literally every single time I see him now, the first thing he says to me, and this was years ago, he's like, check your fluids. I'm like, I sold that car years ago. Leave me alone, Uncle Rod. To check our fluids, we have to go under the hood of the car, right? And this is what we are to do with our lives. We need to go under the hood of our lives, get deep down and check our fluids. When I say that, I mean we need to look at our hearts, look at our motivations and examine what is going on inside of us deeper than the surface level. See, to fix the problem of my car, I needed to go under the hood. To become the person God has created you to be, you gotta go inside, dig deep, and get under the hood and look at your inner life. This is the first tool to knowing self. And just so you know, there's gonna be three tools to know self. So I know some people get mad, like I didn't leave enough room and now my notes look stupid. So I'm telling you, you got three tools throughout the sermon, all right? The first tool helps us dig deeper into our lives. It's called interior examination. So number one, tool to know self, dig deeper through interior examination. Interior examination is just a fancy way of saying we need to go under the hood of our lives and find out what's actually going on. It's this way of life where we consider the reality of our world inside, and we think about what's going on inside of us in order to grow to be more like Jesus. And for centuries, there has been value in examining ourselves. The great philosopher Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine, who was an early father of the church, said, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from your own self? St. Teresa of Avila, another saint, said, almost all problems in the spiritual life come from a lack of self-knowledge. The poet Ice Cube himself said, check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? You need to know what's going on under the hood before you screw things up. For all of time, from Socrates to Ice Cube, there's been a value in knowing ourselves. So let's go back to that interaction I had with that girl. So I lied about that being my winter car. Why? As I've processed, examined my soul, got under the hood, I've learned that deep down, I have felt this need to appear a certain way. See, I believed a lie 
that my value came from appearing wealthy and that would make me worthy. Like if people thought my family was successful, then this girl would like me based on the things I owned. Deep down, really, I struggled with finding my value in my appearance, what other people thought of me. So I thought if I appeared better off, then this girl would have more likely chance of liking me. And when I was doing this in calculus class, I didn't recognize this. I wasn't thinking that deep, like, wow, I need to examine my interior and see my messed up issues. No, no, no. What happened was, is as I've gotten older, actually through this tool called the Enneagram, which is a personality assessment, I started to see some of the things inside of my heart. And through reflection, looking back, I realized, oh, that's why I did that. And the reason that any of this matters is because knowing ourselves is critical to life with God. See, God doesn't just want you to have pure behavior. He wants us to have a pure heart and to have pure motives and the deep parts of us to be holy, not just the exterior things we do on the outside. Jesus often talks about our motivations and how we need to clean the inside of the cup before we worry about the outside of the cup. John Calvin said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. If we want to know God, we have to get to know him through getting to know ourselves. And as we get to know ourselves and our own motivations, what's going on in our hearts, we can start to weed out the things that are not honoring to God, and we can strive for a more pure heart. So I point it back to you. What is going on deep inside of you? The first step to knowing self is being ruthlessly honest with yourself. See, acting like your impure motives and the impurities in your heart aren't there, that doesn't accomplish anything. You can't work on what you don't know exists. I think often we like to say, oh, that's not real. I'm not actually thinking that. I, I'm a good Christian. I'm a small group leader. I would never think that. No, you're thinking it, okay? Don't hide it from yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, amen. See, choosing to sh shove down the parts of us that we don't like is not actually helpful. We have to confront reality. See, me caring about my image to that girl was not honoring to God, but I didn't even know I was doing it. I had to realize it through reflection, and only then did I start to grow. Rich Philotus says in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, God knows it all, the sadness and joy, the fears and lusts, the hopes and dreams. He sees the good in us, the bad in us, and the ugly in us. God knows us thoroughly. God knows us. God knows your feelings. God knows your worries and your anxieties. So why try to hide it from God and the people around you? God knows everything that you've thought. So why don't we start trying to process it and grow? God knows our feelings, so we should probably know our feelings. Your feelings matter. And a great way to confront the reality of your inner life is through doing a feelings workout. I know that sounds like, I'm not doing a feelings workout. I'm gonna go fix cars, blah, blah, blah. You'll do a feelings workout and you will grow and you'll honor God, amen and amen. A feelings workout is when you go through four questions. You can do this like in a journal by yourself. You can do this with a friend or your small group, your small group leader, and you start to process your emotions. Here's the four questions. So feelings workout. First, you could ask yourself, what are you mad about? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? What are you glad about? We can celebrate. Sometimes. It's good to have good feelings too. I think as you talk through these four questions and process through them, you start to get a deeper understanding of what you're actually thinking. And then you start to know yourself. But remember, you have to be honest with yourself. You're like, what am I glad about? Oh, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and I'm so glad about it. What am I mad about? I'm mad at other people who don't know the joy of the Lord. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Thank you for the good church answer. But you're actually mad because someone cut you off in traffic, and it's okay. Just be honest about it. So be honest with yourself about these questions. 
and think through it. So for example, maybe you think, why am I anxious? And you're like, well, I'm anxious about school. Can't stop there. That doesn't help you really grow. So let's dig deeper. Interior examination, again, is about digging deeper. So what am I anxious about? I'm anxious about school. To get deeper, you need to ask yourself, why? So why am I anxious about school? Well, I don't want to get a bad grade. Why? Because I don't want to fail. Why? Because if I fail, I won't get a successful job. So what? Who cares? If I don't get a successful job, my parents will think of me as a failure. Bingo! Now we're starting to process things. But you got to ask yourself why. You got to get a little deeper. See, you're not anxious about school. You're anxious about disappointing your parents. Those are different things. One can be solved by studying more. One can be, the other one needs to be solved by through doing some work, right? Be honest. Ask these questions. Figure out why you feel the way you are. So maybe for you, maybe if you're honest, you're kind of an angry person. It can be tempting to shove it down like, I'm a person of peace. The fruit of the Spirit live in me. Yes, I've cussed out seven people today, but I am a peaceful person of God. You're like, I'm raging inside, but I'm peaceful, gosh darn it. Okay, okay, calm down. Chill pill. Denial does not help. Be honest with yourself. Instead of denying your anger, why don't you ask yourself, hey, why am I always ticked off at everyone? Huh? Process. Maybe think, well, why do I react the way I do? Maybe you're defensive. Why are you always so defensive? Or why do you fear rejection so much that keeps you from trying new things? Why do you care so much what other people think about you? Why do you look at your outfit 35 times before you wear it? That's at me, okay? And I only wear T-shirts. It really makes no sense. I wear the same six T-shirts. Why do you never feel like you're good enough? Why do you always feel like a failure? Don't settle for the what's of your behavior, but let's dig deeper to reflect on the why's of our behavior. That's the key to knowing self, going from what to why. And this takes time. I don't expect you to walk out of here and be like, I know exactly all my motivations and I am a holy person. No self, check. No, this isn't a checklist. It's a journey with Jesus, right? Things take time. Go on a journey, though, of getting to know yourself and why you do the things you do. And remember, life with God has no timeline with it, just between you and Jesus. So our job as people trying to know ourselves is to dig deeper until eventually we land at a question, something like, well, how did I become this way? How did I become me? David knew that he was the man to defeat Goliath because he knew where he came from. He knew his history. It said in 1 Samuel 17, 36, this is David talking, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he's defied the armies of the living God. David knew he could defeat Goliath because he knew he'd kill bears He'd kill lions. He was a bad man, and he knew it, right? If he didn't know if he'd killed bears, he'd be like, oh, like, I'd be terrified of Goliath, but I've never killed a bear or a lion, or like, I get scared to kill spiders. So anyways, it's fine. But David's like, I killed bears, Goliath, no problem. He knew how he got there, so he knew he could defeat him. To know self, we need to know how we got here. We need to know our history. We need to know how we've become the person we are. And the reason you are the way you are has mostly to do with your upbringing, what we'll call your family of origin, where you come from. Do we realize that our families are the most powerful force in our formation? They form us more than anything else. The reason we are the way we are usually is because our parents were a certain way, our grandparents were a certain way, etc. Because things seem to carry on from one generation to the next. For example... If your father responded to stressful situations with anger, you probably respond to 
stressful situations with anger. Or if your father got in stressful situations, like ran away and hid and was like scared of it all, maybe you now uh, got to run and hide, terrified of conflict. It's because that seems normal because it's what's been normal for you, right? It's what you've seen, and that's how you've seen your parents react, so you're gonna react the same way. We usually either become exactly like our parents or the exact opposite in retaliation, but that's a separate conversation. See, our families, we all have these scripts or these stories that we believe to be true. See, maybe in your family, you never saw your parents get sad. You never saw them have emotion. You never saw your dad cry. So then you started to believe this story that sadness is weakness, Or maybe you saw your parents place a lot of value in saving all their money, and they're like, we'll be secure if we have a big bank account. So now you believe the story that the only way you'll be secure is if you have a lot of money and have a good bank account. Maybe you never saw your family get deep in conversation. It was more like we watch TV at dinner and then go to bed. And so now you believe this story that you can't get deep in conversation or that you need to avoid conflict at all costs and just keep the peace and act like everything's okay. Whether we like it or not, our families shape us. Pete Scazzaro frequently says, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Going back to my story. See, the reason that I felt this need to lie about my car actually comes from my dad. Not to blame him. Don't do the upside note. Don't be like, yeah, my parents screwed me up. How dare they? No, let's have grace for our parents, right? They did the best they could, but we just want to do a little bit better. We want to keep growing. Anyways, now to talk about my dad. Long story short, my dad grew up without a father. His dad left him when he was really young. He was raised by a single mother, and she was kind of absent. So my dad felt unvalued his whole life. So he had to find some way to find value. And he found it in making a lot of money and appearing well off. He never went to college. He started working he was like 16, doing construction. And he wanted to become somebody, to appear wealthy. And this led my dad, again, to work very hard. He made a lot of money. But then in the economic collapse of 2008, my parents lost their business, lost their money, and this hurt my dad deeply. But he still felt this need to keep up an image of appearing wealthy and like we've got it all together. And I just was a silent observer of this at like 10 years old. But ingrained in me, and it made me feel like if we want to have worth, we need to appear like we have money, appear wealthy. I just wanted to follow the footsteps of my dad because that's what I saw him doing. He's like, okay, this must be how I'm supposed to live. That's deeply rooted stuff that led me to lie about a car, right? It wasn't just to not have to ride my Mercury Sable. No, actually, it was my absent grandfather, who I've never met, who didn't provide for my dad. That absent grandfather is deep in my bones. I feel kind of vulnerable. I'm you guys in the depths of my heart. You're like, wow, he's really messed up. It's okay. Jesus is good. And my dad goes to our church. It's a little bit more awkward. I'm like, should I do this? It'll be fine. He'll figure it out. Ooh, the light's back on. Hallelujah. So the reason we go through this process of getting to know our history It's because our past has shaped us. But we don't just do this to just understand our past. The reason we need to think through our family of origin and why we are the way we are is because we need to break the power of the past. Our second tool to knowing self is break the power of the past through processing your family of origin. Left unchecked, our past deeply, deeply impacts us. It has a lot of power over our inner lives. See, things continue from generation to generation without us even realizing us, realizing it. But our past does not define us. Jesus does. See, I don't have to believe the lie that I need to worry about appearances. No, I can change and become somebody more like Jesus. What we need to do is go from our family of origin to the family of God. 
See, maybe in your family, you have to act like you have it all together, like everything's okay, but not in the family of God. In the family of God, you can live as your true self. Maybe in your family, you shove feelings down, not in the family of God. In the family of God, we are authentic. We deal with our struggles. Maybe in your family, money led to security, and you have to stride to have a ton of it, not in the family of God. In the family of God, God is your source of security, not your bank account. Maybe in your family, you were worthy and praised and loved if you got good grades. You performed well. Not in the family of God. God loves you just as much if you got straight A's or straight D's. You get an F, then he doesn't love you anymore. I'm just kidding. He loves me if you get an F. You don't have to earn the love of God through your school performance. God loves you where you're at. See, we break the power of the past when we move from our family, the stories we tell ourselves, to the family of God, and we live according to the story of God. But we can't break the power of the past if we don't know about the past, right? We need to process through these things, see the lies we're believing, and seek to grow to be more like Jesus. David didn't stop, though, with just knowing who he was and why he was the way he was. He also knew who he was not. So the next question we have to ask is, who am I not? Going back to our story, David volunteers to fight Goliath because he's killed bears. So King Saul's like, all right, go for it. And then Saul says, I'm going to give you my personal armor, David. Nothing better than the king's armor to go fight, right? Well, it says this. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and coat of mail and sword. He tried and they didn't go, but he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I haven't tested them. So David took it off. He took his staff in his hand. He chose five rocks from the brook and put them in his pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the giant, the Philistine. See, David tells the king, David, or Saul, which is the king's name, your armor's great and all, but it's not for me. David says, I don't want your armor, Saul. I'm good with my rocks. David is aware enough to know that if he's going to succeed, he's got to be himself. See, the people around David would have been astounded. How dare you reject the king's armor? Clearly, that armor is what's best. King Saul was a model man, a model warrior. Every young warrior wanted to be like King Saul. But see, David, David didn't want to be Saul. David wanted to be David. David didn't want to be a huge warrior with a sword. David knew that he was called to be a little shepherd boy with a sling and some rocks. If David would have tried to fight in Saul's armor, he certainly would have died. He wouldn't have been comfortable. It would have been too heavy. He wouldn't have been used to it. And Goliath would have crushed him. No, David's victory came because he lived into who he was created to be. If we want to see victory in our life, if we want to be formed into the image of Jesus, we can't worry about being who others think we should be or who other people are. We need to focus on being who God created you to be. To know self means to know who I am not. To know who we are not, we need to recognize there's a false self that exists inside of us. And this is the third tool to knowing self. Third tool is to become your true self through identifying your false self. The false self is an identity we can construct that conceals who we really are. It's who we want to be. Our false self is who we think we're supposed to be. It's the show we put on for everyone else. In Brendan Manning's book, Abba's Child, he calls our false self the imposter. So the false self is an imposter that lives inside of you that feels the need to put on a show and is focused on not being who God created you to be, but rather 
the things that tell you and the person inside of your soul that says you need to act this way to be accepted. You need to act this way to be approved. Only then will you be valuable. He says in the book, to gain acceptance and approval, the false self or the imposter suppresses or camouflages feelings, making emotional healthy or emotional honesty impossible. Living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everyone will admire us and nobody will know us. Ooh, when I read that, I was a little convicting. Our false self tells us we gotta perform and be somebody we're not. Our false self tells us you gotta appear like you got it all together. You gotta be the good church kid. Our false self's kind of like our Instagram self, right? Like you need a perfect filter. I gotta look good. It's not your be real self. Your be real self's your true self. Your Instagram self's like, my Instagrams look good, okay? So I gotta look nice and make it all look good. Our false self is trying to prove something. Our false self's trying to say, I'm the good church kid. I put Bible verses in my bio. It's okay if you do that, by the way. I'm not judging you for that. Our false self takes itself so seriously. It worries about looking bad. We have to perform and protect But see, here's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have to protect yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to perform for anything. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to prove anything to anybody because you are a son or daughter of the king. And that's all that matters. Protecting this false self, this image of who we're supposed to be is exhausting. Aren't you tired of wearing Saul's armor? Keeping up this facade is exhausting. We are created to live into who Jesus created us to be, which is our true selves. Pete Scazzaro says, true freedom comes we no longer need to be somebody special in other people's eyes because we know we are lovable and good enough. The only person's opinion that matters is Jesus's. Jesus calls you beloved. Jesus loves you so much. So we don't need to spend our whole lives worrying about what other people think about us. My older brother, Daniel, had my job. He was the Chi Alpha director before me. And when I took over as the director of Chi Alpha, I felt this need to be like Daniel. This is all I had seen. Daniel's very passionate. He's extremely type A. When he preaches, it's like 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. It's systematized, and that's not me. I'm more of a story person. Like, I like to tell jokes, have fun. Remember the first service? I showed a stupid video of me singing to Taylor. Horrible idea, by the way. But that's more my personality. But my first year in Chi Alpha, I tried to be like Daniel, be organized and structured, but that wasn't working. It kind of flopped because I was living into this false self of who I thought I was supposed to be. But then when I started to take off the armor of Daniel and put on the armor of Derek and who I was supposed to be, things got a lot better. Because see, God created you with your personality, your quirks, your likes, your dislikes to be you. I think there's people in here who need to hear this. God doesn't need you to be somebody else. God doesn't want you to be your sibling God doesn't want you to be your best friend. God doesn't need you to be your roommate. You don't need to be like your parents. You don't need to be like your small group leader. God just wants you to be you because he created you that way. But if you're gonna be you, you gotta know you, right? God wants you to know yourself and live into the calling he has over your life. But here's reality. We can't forget this. This is very important. Jesus doesn't just want you to be the you you are right now. See, we're all sinful, right? We've got things in our hearts that aren't honoring to God. So God doesn't want you to just be present day you. He wants you to become the you that you were created to be. God wants to help form you and help you become your most Jesus-like self. And this is where the idea of becoming comes in. 
See, God has a purpose and a calling over your life. We're all in this process of becoming somebody. We are to seek to grow and be transformed into who Jesus calls us to be, which is becoming our true self. Our true self is actually our holiest self. Our true self is our most Jesus-like self. That's who we need to become. Jesus doesn't want us to just look at our sins and say, well, so you created me to be God. You created me prideful, lustful, lazy, so I'm going to be that. I'm living in my true self. My identity is I'm lazy. Here comes video games all weekend, baby. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Because that's not who you actually are. That's not who you were created to be. That's what sin has turned you into. No, our true selves is when we become our godly selves. So we got to put both definitions of this word together, the word becoming. Transformation into something beautiful. Being transformed into the image of God. That is life with God. Being transformed into something beautiful. Your beautiful self, it includes your individuality. So again, you don't have to be somebody else. It includes your quirks, your personality, who you are. So it's your individuality, but it's bathed in holiness and being like Jesus. So it's this beautiful combination of who God has created you specifically to be, all living under the holiness of God and being as much like Jesus as possible. So it's not just you becoming you, it's you being the Jesus version of you. And that, my friends, is how we know self. Not just in knowing who we are, but in knowing who we can become. We have to ask ourselves, who can I become? Before David ever fought Saul, God spoke a calling over his life. See, when David was young, this prophet Samuel came to his hometown and said that he was looking for the next king, the next king of Israel. And so Samuel actually goes to David's father and says, one of your sons is destined to be the next king. So David's father presents the six older sons. And Samuel, this prophet, goes one by one, not him, not him, not him, not him. Oh, and, he's like, and he gets through all of them. He's like, well, it's none of these guys. Uh, you got any other sons? And Samuel, or excuse me, Jesse, David's father, is sitting there kind of scratches. I was like, well, yeah, I got the, the youngest one. I'll go get him. So he goes and gets David. David comes in. David is working. He was actually doing a job. He comes in. Samuel sees him. And as soon as he looks at David, he says, that's him. That's the anointed king of Israel. And Samuel speaks life over David and says, David, you are destined to be God's anointed king. Samuel is looking for David. And from that day forward, David saw who he could become. Not just who he was, the youngest of seven shepherd boy, but who he could become, the king of Israel. So David constantly lived with this image in mind. This image that he was called to be a God-honoring king. And that propelled everything. That propelled him to be transformed. See, God has a calling over your life. God is calling you to be your godly, transformed self, to see your inner life like Jesus. God is calling you to royalty in his kingdom. But the thing that gets between us and royalty, this calling of our lives, is lies. We believe these lies about who we really are, who God is. That's why we gotta go under the hood and examine what we're thinking so we can catch ourselves believing these lies that go against the character of God. So to step into who God has created you to be, 
You gotta root out the lies of your mind and seek to control your inner messaging. We have thought patterns, right? These things we think. And I think it's easy for us to say, well, that's just the way I think. That's the way I am. I'm stuck that way. But that's not reality. Your, your thoughts do not control you. You can have control over your thoughts. You don't have to just let that be who you are. No lies creep in our heads all the time. And our job as followers of Jesus is to confront these lies with the truth of God. See, lies, they grow best in the dark, but lies die the minute they hit the light. So we gotta get to know ourselves, what lies we're believing, and then we gotta throw them in the light and watch God kill them. When lies creep in, they must be confronted with the truth of who King Jesus is. See, David, David had a lie spoken over him. David could have believed that he would never be good enough. You think your family of origin's jacked up? David's family of origin was jacked up. When Samuel came looking for a king, David's own father called all of his brothers except him. Imagine that. Imagine being the runt. And your parents are like, ah, oh, no, that one could never be good enough. That's going to mess with you a little bit, right? So David could have let the messaging from his dad and from his family screw him up for the rest of his life. Because his own dad didn't believe in him. That could have controlled him. But David said, I'm not going to focus on that. Instead of focusing on the lie that his father breathed into his soul, he focused on the truth that God spoke over him. And that's how he got to know himself and who God created him to be. David had to sit and rest in the truth of God. We don't bow to our thought life. We don't bow to the messages in our head. We don't bow to our thoughts. We don't bow to our emotions. It doesn't mean we ignore them. We certainly do not ignore them. That helps nothing. But they also don't control us. We bow to a king. So you might have some inner messaging in your life that you've bowed to, something that you've believed. Like, this just the way it is. I'm always gonna be that way. That sin's always gonna control me. I can't grow past it. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be loved. I'll never measure up. I'll never be who my parents want me to be. Don't we recognize that those are lies? We don't bow to lies. We don't just focus on who we are right now and think I'm stuck this way. We don't focus on where we're at right now. We focus on who I can become. That's where hope is found. If we are stuck right where we're at right now, there's no hope in that. But the message of Jesus is the message of hope. Is that the things you struggle with right now, the lies you believe, the things that control you, they don't own you. Because you can always become who God has called you to be. So no matter if you've had a horrible upbringing, if that's your story, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if you had a parent that ran out on you, if you had some tragedy or trauma in your life. God is sad about that too. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus weeps with us. Jesus weeps about that. But he also doesn't want that to control you. So no matter if you had a horrible upbringing or if you had the best parents in the world, Jesus has a beautiful future for you. God loves you. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see the lies in your head. He doesn't see anything that have happened to you or the things you've done. When Jesus sees you, all he sees is a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And that's our calling. That's who you can become. We get to be royalty. But here's the best part of this whole thing. We get to become royalty not because of anything we've done. We don't deserve to be prince or princess in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes in my life, right? I've done some things that should have separated me from God. 
So I don't deserve this calling of becoming a king in the kingdom of God. The beauty is our calling is not based on what we've done, but all what God has done. See, David knew that in the practical sense, he had zero chance of defeating Goliath. But David was confident he would defeat Goliath because he knew who his God was. See, he knew that he served a Goliath-defeating God. God defeats the Goliaths in your life. Here's the proof. The biggest Goliath, the biggest enemy of all time, is death, right? Death always seems to win, every single time. But it didn't beat our God. See, Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life. Lived the life that we should have. But then he died on a cross and it looked like he had lost. When Jesus is in the tomb, and I know you all know this story probably, so it's easy for it to lose its potency. But go with me for a second. Jesus in the tomb. It looked like death had won. His disciples scattered, living a life of sorrow because it looked like they had lost. But then our God came back and Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated the Goliath of death once and for all. And now you are not controlled by nobody except your God. God is the victor king who liberates us from lies, who liberates us from evil, from our past. And now if we will accept Jesus as our Lord, if you will let Jesus rule your life, no longer will sin and shame have its place in your life, whether it's your exterior or your interior. Your thoughts belong to God now. He bought you with a price. We get to have life with God. And then we get to become the prince or princess in his kingdom. And we get to know ourselves the way that Jesus knows us. Our main idea tonight is to become who Jesus created you to be. You need to know who Jesus created you to be. To become who Jesus created you to be, you gotta know who he created you to be. And that is a prince or princess in his kingdom. And some of us are here tonight, and if we're honest, we're tired. Maybe you're here and you're tired of putting on a performance. You're tired of trying to be somebody else. You're tired of trying to live up to expectations. Maybe you feel like God screwed up when he made you. Like there's some re- somehow that the smartest being of all mankind screwed up with you. Not with anyone else, but for some reason he screwed up with you. And you're believing this lie that there's something wrong with you. God wants you to know that he loved you and that God made you on purpose for a purpose. God did not screw up with you. See, God wants to use your story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to change the world. It's so easy for us to fall into this trap of either like we ignore our deeper life and act like it doesn't exist, or we go to the other extreme and we think our inner life, our thoughts, our past controls us. What I'm arguing for tonight is we need to seek a middle ground, a healthy middle ground where we are honest about our lives, but we also are on a journey of becoming more like Jesus and know that our past does not control us. And then we become our most Jesus-like self. And if we do this, it'll change everything. I want you to imagine a world where you don't have to perform. Imagine a world where you are secure, where you don't have to be defensive. You don't have to perform or protect or prove yourself. You can live into your calling. You don't have to protect this false self. A world where you know what's actually going on inside of you and you're growing through it. Imagine a world where you have become the best version that God has created you to be. 
knowing self is foundational to becoming that beautiful painting that God wants to make in your life. We all stand up. If you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you haven't really started this journey of being a son or daughter of God. You haven't let Jesus have control of your life. If you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness from sin and asked him to wash over you and make you a new creation and to have life with God, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that tonight. So everyone will close your eyes, bow your heads. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you've been running far away from him and you wanna turn back and say, God, make me something beautiful. I just want you to raise your hand as a physical sign of what God is doing in your heart. So that's you. On the count of three, raise your hand to say, Jesus, you are my king now. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. This is good. Anyone else? Just wanna know who we're praying with. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a God who loves us and who has a plan for our lives and who gives us freedom in your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. You guys can open your eyes. I want us to be bold tonight. Can we do that? So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you've let some lies creep into you, and you've believed some things about yourself that aren't true and you feel like maybe you've given up a little bit of control, but you want to take control back and give it back to God over your own thought life. You want to get to know yourself better. I want you to raise a hand right now. So if that's you and you want to give control back to Jesus and get your thoughts back to Jesus, raise your hand right now. So what I want us to do is, as a lot of us are in this season, me too, I raised my hand, sorry, I forgot. Let's pray. So I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray out loud, okay? So I'm going to pray over you, but I want you to pray out loud to yourself. We're all going to be talking, so it's not that weird, saying, Jesus, you have control. Offer up your thought life. Offer up your who you are to God, all right? So I'm going to start praying, and if that's you, start praying with me, okay? Then we're going to worship together. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who has control over our lives. Jesus, I pray that we will be a group that does not believe the lies of the world around us, that does not believe the lies of ideologies that tell us certain things are true. God, that we will believe the truth of you, King Jesus, that we will get to know ourselves and who you've created us to be, God, and that we'll become kings and queens in your kingdom, God, that we will get to know ourselves and know who you've created us to be, Jesus. Jesus, I pray truth upon truth upon truth over all of our lives, God. We want to be free from lies. Jesus, we ask that you will come and just set us free. In your name, amen and amen. We're gonna worship together. Let's worship Jesus.